Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagari. And today we have another Best Picture Showdown. This time it's 1945, the 18th Academy Awards, which saw a pretty dark film uh, called The Lost Weekend. Uh, it beat Anchors Away, real piece of shit movie. Uh, <laughs> the Bells of St. Mary's, pretty good. Mildred Pierce, pretty good. And uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Spellbound, pretty good. Uh, Spellbound's a movie we did long time ago on this show uh we haven't been back to 1945 since uh we're both maybe a little underwhelmed because you have high expectations for uh for mr alfred hitchcock um good performances but some of the story just doesn't quite you know do it do it for both of us but uh needless to say we're going to be revisiting it a little bit here for a a showdown of these five movies we're going to rank them we're going to look at the 18th Academy Awards, look at The Lost Weekend, because uh, it won Best Picture, Best Actor in a Lead Role for Ray Milland, Best Director, Billy Wilder, Best Screenplay, Charles Brackett and Billy Wilder. And then it was also nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Scoring of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture. Uh, this is back in the day when there were like 35 movies up for a score, and We'll have some fun making fun of that yet again. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we got we got some stuff to talk about. Uh, but right off the right off the bat here, the last weekend it's a movie neither of us had seen. Um, I want to say about a month ago after we did Platoon, we were trying to decide what best picture movie to tackle next, and we were wanting to go back like far back, and we were looking kind of at the 30s and the 40s, um, and. This is the one that seemed like it had the most available to us. Uh, the Lost Weekend is on Criterion Channel. Spellbound has been on YouTube for about eight years, the full film. Um, Mildred Pierce, we had to rent. Uh, the Bells of St. Mary's is on Tubi and the Roku channel, if you have it. And Anchors Away is on HBO Max. Don't know why, because it's really bad. Uh, but these are accessible. You know, they're, 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 they're around. And Mildred Pierce is a movie that we both kind of had on our list for a long time. So uh, what, what were your initial thoughts with this group as a whole? You know, we're, this is the furthest we've gone back for a best picture showdown. Uh, we did best years of our lives a long time ago now, but uh, we haven't been to the forties since then for a best picture showdown. So like, what do you think in general of this group? Well, I've, uh, I've certainly, you know, felt more ready to tackle older films. The more we do this show, I feel more comfortable in this zone and some of these were films I've wanted to see for a long time. Mildred Pierce, Spells of St. Mary's, Anchors Away, I knew about, uh, mostly from the, the scene where he dances with Jerry the Mouse, which I don't know why the fuck that's in there, but that's for another time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but The Lost Weekend sounded very intriguing, and um, I had recently found it on DVD somewhere, so I was like, I have it, so let's do it. Mm-hmm. And it was. I looked up what it was about, and it sounded incredibly dark for 1945, and Billy Wilder went there and I respected that. I respect that big time. He was one of those guys who just, you know, had something to say. He wasn't a conveyor belt director. He wanted to, he wanted his pictures to matter. And you could definitely feel that with the lost weekend, you know, not his last win for best director. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Yeah. He has a total of six wins um, at the Oscars, Billy Wilder. He's definitely a household name when it comes to a show like this, um, including a, you know, fucking amazing when well-deserved for the apartment, uh, 1960, a movie we did episode 30, I think it's almost a hundred episodes ago now. And, uh, you know, some like it hot, 
you know, Sabrina witness for the prosecution. You know, he's just got, he's got some, some sunset fucking Boulevard. Like this guy is a stud, you know? So yeah, the last weekend was a movie. I also was, was going to watch at some point because of its subject matter and because it's Billy Wilder and because it's best picture winner. I was pleasantly surprised that this is, this is not just a middle of the road, best picture winner. This is a good, good winner from the forties. Right. And, Definitely feels like it could last in any era. Feels like it could be a movie from, you know, 60s, 70s, whatever. Uh, obviously, it'd be a little updated, but the subject matter feels timeless. And I, I love that about it. Well, I mean, you know, with the 40s, a, a lot of the films were fluff. You know, pre-60s, a lot of the films are, a lot of them are anchors away. A lot of them are just meaningless, mindless bullshit. But you have filmmakers who wanted to make their mark, who wanted to tackle taboo subjects like alcoholism and those are the films that are going to last forever because the, the timeless quality comes out in that subject matter that we're still dealing with today you know alcoholism didn't go away people still deal with that shit people still deal with it the same way they still have the same demons the same relationships destroyed and you can relate to a film like this and it, it actually kind of i imagine would give people comfort that this is not you know this isn't something new this is a, a problem people have always had mm. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I think that's. I I was like totally enamored by it as it's as it got going. It didn't take long for you to figure out what what the deal was because right away he throws the bottle over the window with the rope, yeah. and you're like, oh, this guy this guy's got a problem. And it's kind of a roller coaster ride for for the entire hour and forty minutes. Um, and again, it's on Criterion. I highly suggest people try to check it out if they can. Um, I, I would love to own this movie, you know, so I, I'm, I'm glad you have it on DVD. I think it's a good one to have on the shelf. Uh, aside from, you know, what we've been doing for this, the, you know, the homework for this episode, uh, you and I got to see uh, The Thing last Sunday in theater. So we didn't we didn't really get to talk about that last week on our episode. But, man, that was so much fun. It was really cool to, to see that movie hit its 40th anniversary this year and just simply like it might be my favorite 80s movie uh period and it was so special to see it on the big screen it certainly helped its case in my mind for being one of the more special movies i've seen um my favorite carpenter alongside assault and precinct 13 for sure so it was just just a really cool day to go to draft house uh and and kind of hang out hang out with a good buddy and see a great film oh it was wonderful it was a fantastic experience i love being in a crowded house of people yeah. who just love Carpenter as much as I do. Cause no, you know, no Joe Schmo off the street is going to go see the thing on, su- you know, a Sunday night at the Alma draft house. This is people who've had this on their calendar for months. People who have been looking forward to this, people who get to, you know, just imp- like love Carpenter all together. It's wonderful. And yeah, I think with this viewing, I think I'm, I'm finally ready to call the thing Carpenter's masterpiece. <laughs> it's yeah. There's been, you know, for me, it's always been like a three-way toss-up between Halloween, Escape from New York, and The Thing. But I think The Thing has taken the crown for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think a lot that has to do with that is, uh, you know, there's been obviously it's it's a remake of some sort, and it's also had a remake in the in like 2010. But it's it's pretty like standalone-ish. Like it just kind of gets to have its own life. And obviously, Halloween is like this thing that's gotten messed with so many times. Um, we're in the middle of a re- reboot right now, you know, where they're on, they're working on a trilogy. Uh, 
I think there's something special about the thing that it feels like it's in its place. It came in 1982 and went and we could just get to kind of love on it uh, as this, as this kind of special gem that could only be made at that time by a guy like Carpenter. You know, it's, it's got such a signature look to it. And the score is so fucking awesome from Ennio Morcone. Like it's just kind of just got this really unique thing about it that, I'm I like I'm obsessed with, and I would hate for the thing to get like franchised and be this huge thing that gets done over and over again. Uh, I love that it kind of has its place, and that's that's special. Well, as they proved in 2011, like it can't it can't be done again. It's it's lightning yeah, in a no. bottle. It happened one time because John Carpenter had this insane vision for you know a living nightmare of a shapeshifter that you know features some of the most incredible visual effects and makeup I've ever seen in a movie that have yet to be topped. It's really incredible what Rob Bottin was able to do with that movie. Yeah. And, you know, you add Morricone's score and all the performances and every character is just as, you know, present as they need to be. There's no fat on that movie at all. It mm-hmm. is pure brilliance. The, the sense of isolation, the paranoia, that every time I watch it, I fucking forget who's the thing. Every time I'm like, fuck, who is it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's still still does that. Yeah, it's amazing, and even it even ends with a sense of like, did they did they kill it? You don't know. Like you're 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 you walk out of there going like, this might not be over. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's a yeah, brilliant the, movie. Yeah, the ambiguity of it, you you feel as crazy as the characters as a as an audience member. Uh, so yeah, that oh that was great. But um, the day after that, that was last Sunday. Uh, the day after that, Better Call Saul obviously kicked ass, was incredible. And we got, uh, spoiler alert, we got one of the craziest scenes to the end of an episode of TV I've ever seen where it looks like Gene is going to be on the run. Um, or now, you know, Carol Burnett knows. <laughs> she's like, you're so fucking Goodman, you know? And she's looking at stuff on the computer. It was just such a chilling scene after a very methodical episode that followed Kim mostly uh, and her, her ride through Florida over like a six year span. And to kind of bring it all around and be like, no, I still like, I still know how to give you that cliffhanger thing that Vince Gilligan does. It, it's, it's just skill. It's just skillful filmmaking really at this point where he's able to do that through a whole episode where you're kind of like, huh, where are we going here? And then he fucking punches you in the face and you're like, damn, he's still got it. <laughs> and, and I was like, I was enthralled by that episode. I thought it was fucking genius. And I cannot wait for tomorrow to see how this thing ends. That scene, the ending of that episode felt very much like an echo of when Walt and Skyler had their, their fight and, you know, the knife ended up in Skyler's hands and Walter's like, you know, what the hell's the matter with you? We're a family. Like it felt like Jimmy's version of that. Yeah. And I like that a lot. Um, I loved the scene where, you know, Kim serves him divorce papers and walks outside and Jesse, Jesse bums a cigarette yeah. off of her and they're talking. It's like the two sidekicks of both shows, you know, having a moment of like right before, you know, the end of Kim's journey, the beginning of Jesse's. Yeah. And it's so cool. The like fork in the road there. I was, I thought that was a brilliant scene. Yeah, that was that was like poetic because we obviously see the monsters, uh, you know, we, we see right through it as the audience members, but you have the soft spot for Kim and for Jesse through most of the both of the shows. And so it was like the sidekicks who are 
have like a piece of human in them yeah and and just get abused and abused and abused they play their part for sure but they they're like they're used most of the shows they're like used by by walter and by by saul by jimmy yeah and yeah, seeing them two smoke together. And then you got a great little Jesse banter of like him talking about going to the doctor and you're like, that's that's why I love Jesse. <laughs> like he just he just can't shut up, you know? And and it was that was that was really neat. Um yeah, this is I'm gonna like cry when this thing ends. No matter how it ends, I'm gonna be so sad that it's over. And I'll I'll be ready as soon as Vince Gilligan is ready, I'll be ready for a return to Albuquerque in any way he sees fit. Uh, I hope this doesn't end, you know, um, this storytelling in, in, in New Mexico. Well, Gilligan recently came out and said that he, he doesn't plan to go back. I know. It, yeah. And I'm like, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I don't want to believe him, but I, I understand. I mean, he's got other things to do. He's made over 100 episodes of this of this world. So he's given us enough. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But I'm more excited to see, like, what else is he going to be a part of? Like, what other stories is he going to tell? outside of this universe because i'm i'm down i'm ready for anything he wants to you know i'm, I'm ready for story time yeah i feel you i feel you on that man um aside from the thing and better call saw what else have you kind of gotten into and of course aside from this 1945 action yeah um well to prep for this um i i, I knew that the bells of saint mary's was a sequel so to get some context i watched uh, 1944's going my way yeah, uh, which I thought was okay. A little too sappy for my taste. Uh, that's the musical notes didn't really match. Like, why are they singing? This didn't matter. It's like Bing Crosby's a crooner, so naturally there's going to be a song. But I thought it made more sense in the Bells of St. Mary's and going my way. It just didn't pop. Uh, I got kind of a little shanghaied by my family into watching Grease for the first time because of yeah. the recent death of Olivia Newton-John. Uh, didn't care for it. And that was right after Anchors Away. So I had like a good four hours, four plus hours of musical. So I'm I'm done for with musicals for quite some time. Yeah, I, I understand. But the uh the highlight of my watching for the week, um, I finally watched The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Oh yes. What a film. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's meaty, but good God, what a movie. The only thing keeping it from a nine for me was the fact that it was about like almost three hours long and it did not need to be. I feel like we could have trimmed some of that big time, but I was enamored by Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck's performance and chemistry. I was like in awe. The music, Jesus Christ, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis did the score. The score is some of the most poignant, reflective shit I've ever heard in a movie. I was blown away. I was nearing tears before I even met the characters. Mm. It was incredible. I was in almost immediately. And what a story. I mean, you know, the story of Jesse James has become, you know, American legend that so few people know the facts of the story. And the truth is he was a fucking monster who was shot in the back by a coward. And this movie really addresses that. Jesse James is never made to be a hero or a good man. He's a monster. And the man who killed him is not a hero either. He's, you know, just a slightly cowardly monster. It's... I was very impressed. I really enjoyed this movie. And uh, I wish I'd watched it before we did our top five Brad Pitt. I think if I thought about it more, he might, that movie might have been in there. Yeah, yeah. We didn't really mention that one. Uh, that one certainly is close, right? And Casey, I mean, good night. You know, yeah. he's he's fantastic. Uh, I, I really wish that one would have been up for Best Picture because if that movie and Zodiac would have been up, 
we would have had There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men, Assassination of Jesse James, Zodiac, and whatever the fuck else. And it would have mm-hmm. been like the most it would have been like the most badass masculine fucking group of all time. <laughs> that was the year of the self-reflective neo-western returned. Like yeah. by far. And you know, but Jesse James was up for supporting actor and cinematography. So we could definitely do it down the road as it's a self like standalone episode. And I would yeah. Yeah, I'd be I'd be down for sure. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's quite underrated and hasn't got the love it deserves over the years. Well, and just Anderson, go, it just go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead. All right, all right. I was gonna <laughs> say like the supporting cast as well. Yes, um, Sam Rockwell, uh, Mary Louise Parker, Paul Schneider, Sam Shepard, Jeremy Renner, like Sam Elliott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was fucking awesome. So yeah, yeah. Ted Levine had a bit part. Like it was yeah, it was cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just uh, one of those that got lost. I feel like if it came out at a different time, maybe it could have been this big fucking deal. So, no. um, yeah, that's a good one. I'm shocked we didn't really – We I feel like we didn't mention that one at all last week, and shame on me because, yeah, that's some of Brad Pitt's best stuff. Uh, I don't think it would take a spot ever in mind just because, again, those are, like, such firm favorites, you know? That's, like, it, it, me too, probably, but it, it would have been an honorable mention at least. Yeah, like I think it's right behind Snatch. You know, it's right in that 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 mix of like, I mean, Brad's Brad's just got so many. Uh, you can't you can't really help it. Uh, yeah, that's cool. I like that. That's your that's your highlight. Um, I don't have anything that I watched that was that cool. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, let me let me re, let me rephrase that. Not quite as cool, like, but but there there is something that's close and that's kind of been been talked about recently, and that's uh, Prey from uh from hulu the new predator movie uh this is my second favorite predator movie like not even it's not even close i love obviously the original but uh there's something about this one how grounded it is how serious it is uh and the representation that it that it brings is so unique and so badass and just i hate to be this guy but like what we're capable of doing with a character like predator now visually is is fucking incredible and my god did he look <laughs> did that alien look look badass um the bear the bear scene was like fucking absurd and you know uh that i can't pronounce i don't know how to pronounce the director's name he's the guy who did 10 cloverfield lane uh yeah. i don't know how to say his last name dan trachtenberg trachtenberg uh, look out for this guy i think i think he might ha- like kind of take a place in-, in modern cinema. Uh, he he did a really cool Black Mirror episode. He directed, uh, he directed the uh, first episode of The Boys on Amazon. Um, something about him that that reeks of like cinematic understanding and the ability to be in something that's super grand and like has a huge scale but pull it like way, way back and give us kind of a, a unique perspective on something and pray was, man, this is badass. I wish I could have seen it in theaters. Uh, Cause it deserves to be on the big screen. This movie is gorgeous. And I feel like, you know, you, you, you know, the thing you do when you're watching a movie at home and it's on the TV and, and it's like slows down a little bit and it's showing you a bunch of landscapes. You might be like, Oh, let, let me check my phone real quick just for a second. I think that's that that's okay sometimes, but with Prey, I'm like, no, this kind of deserves our full attention. And I think on the big screen, it would demand that. Like it would kind of put a chokehold on you because it was so beautifully shot. 
and you had these this CGI that was some of the best I've seen in, in the past few years. That bear was scary. The 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 lion towards the beginning of the film was like, man, that thing is fucking freaky, especially at nighttime. So I yeah, I really really enjoyed that movie. I'll give it a solid eight out of ten. I'm definitely gonna watch it again. You know, it breezes by. It's like an hour and a half, and just boom, just goes by, and you, you're you're in a really cool, really cool world. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what that guy does next, man. And I'm excited to see what this could open up for these actors as well. You know, you have a lot of a lot of Native American actors who deserve this kind of spotlight. So I, I was excited to see that it was as good as people were saying. Well, I was seeing that. Um... Our lead, our lead character, um, Amber Midthunder, I believe her name is. Yeah. Um, she's already being like, fans are like, put her in a Marvel movie. Like she should, uh, they want her as uh, X-23, Wolverine's daughter. Oh, yeah. She's like incredibly badass. I was, I was rooting for her for sure yeah. throughout that movie. And yeah, really cool name. Midthunder is a badass name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see kind of like what doors that opens up. Um. Aside from that, you know, I, I finally watched Lightyear, which was fine. You know, I thought, um, you know, it's not the best Pixar, but it's, it's not the worst. And I think it got, like, when you have a movie that's attached to Toy Story, people are expecting, you know, absolute greatness. And while it wasn't, you know, amazing like Toy Story 1 through 4, it, it had some cool moments. And I thought Chris Evans did a great job. Uh, Kiki Palmer was, was fantastic. Uh, the Taika Waititi character was was funny at times. So like, I had a good time, you know? I, I didn't regret watching it. So I think sometimes with these Pixar movies, people need to fucking get off their high horse and realize ultimately it's a kid's movie. Uh, and, and, and you know, my daughter liked it. She enjoyed it. So I, I had I had fun. I uh, uh, also wish I could have seen that in theaters. But when I saw like, kind of the backlash, I was like, oh, maybe I'll save the money. And then I watched it at home here uh, on Disney Plus. It was fine. But uh, yeah, I watched those two. And I watched a couple of basketball documentaries that I've been wanting to watch. There's a newer one called New York City Point Gods about a bunch of point guards that are from New York City. And that was really cool because I just eat that shit up. And then there's one called The Greatest Mixtape Ever about the and one mixtape that kind of hit the scene in the late 90s, early 2000s. And that was a lot of fun too. Got to kind of reminisce about stuff that I loved as a kid. So I, yeah, I had fun overall. Prey was the coolest thing though that I watched outside of our, uh, our homework for this show. I tend to only really, you know, highlight movies I've never seen before, you know, new stuff I want to talk about, but just cause I feel like saying it, I did do for the hell of it an inspector gadget double feature. Fuck. Yeah. I, I know those movies suck. They both suck, but I've, I've had an affinity for those since I was a kid. And I was like, let's put it on. And after I watched the first one, I was like, I haven't seen two in like 15 years. Let's do it. And I, it's a live action cartoon. It's fucking terrible, but I enjoyed them. It was, it was for me. It was a little, you know, it was like Dairy Queen. It was like, I don't do this all the time, but I'm going to have, I'm going to have something. <laughs> there you go. I love that. I haven't seen those in ages. I totally understand that. Just kind of going down memory lane for a bit. Sometimes that's what movies are for. So. I respect it. That's that's great. Those would be really funny to do on. I don't even know at this point what they're. Oh, both of them would go on Beyond the Bad. They're both okay. critically reviled, hated movies that I latched onto for some reason. Fair enough. That'd be great for you to go in the go in the ring and defend them. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be funny as shit. Uh, yeah, yeah. So 
been been an interesting week for both of us. Um, you know, the, these movies, these 1945 movies, I, I like when we do this best picture showdown type thing because it forces you to go to a certain place for a while and kind of tackle different things within that year. I made the dumb mistake of watching, well, not dumb, of watching this movie called Brief Encounter, uh, also from 1945, but it didn't compete until the 19th Academy Awards. And I was like, shit, this movie, it was up for some stuff, but it didn't compete against these movies. But it's like my favorite movie from 1945 that I've ever seen now. I thought it was fantastic. A great love love story uh, directed by David Lean on Criterion Channel and I believe HBO Max right now. I thought that movie was awesome. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll have some ammo to talk about how it should it should take anchors away spot, you know. <laughs> but but no, it didn't compete until the 19th Academy Awards. So whatever. <laughs> Still a good movie. I enjoyed it. I gave it a 9 out of 10. And, and I, I, you know, it's my, my favorite one of my favorite 40s movies I've seen now. So that, that was cool. But um, these, these, this group is going to be interesting to talk about. I think we're going to agree on some things here. I think we're, you know, going to have close rankings. Uh, but I think there'll be, you know, there's always the, there's always the question of where the kind of the, you know, we're usually the same at the back. We're like, yeah, yeah. Especially these old ceremonies. But then at the front, it's kind of interesting to see which one we side with. So uh, I want to do these, rankings um right after we do the awards for for lost weekend i want to go ahead and dive into lost weekend give it some love talk about what we really care about it and then and then we'll go straight into the rankings and then we'll talk more about the ceremony so you know the drill quentin tarantino award for the best quote of the movie really good screenplay really tight really good uh the ennio morricone award for best music moment surprisingly pretty good score there's a few moments where i was like this feels like an Alfred Hitchcock movie, you know, really, really heightened that, that, that thriller aspect. Um, the Philip Seymour Hoffman award. I don't think there's a whole lot of competition here. You know, there's someone carrying the movie and then there's other people. Uh, and the Roger Deakins award for the best scene of the movie. So I'll let you take it away whenever you're ready. Yeah. So this, you know, this is a film about alcoholism. So I decided to go with a scene where Don Burnham kind of describes why he's a drunk, like why booze is his crutch. And it's when he's at uh, Nat's bar and yeah. love, love Nat. Great yeah. bartender. <laughs> yeah. I love his whole, like, you know, certainly like that whole, the way he yeah. talked, I fucking love that. Mr. Buenum. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Don's talking about, you know, he's doing this monologue and he says, it shrinks my liver. Doesn't it? Nat? It pickles my mm. kidneys. Yeah. But what does it do to the mind? It tosses the sandbags overboard. So the balloon can soar. Suddenly, I'm above the ordinary. I'm competent, extremely competent. I'm walking a tightrope over Niagara Falls. I'm one of the great ones. I'm Michelangelo, molding the beard of Moses. I'm Van Gogh, painting pure sunlight. I'm Horowitz, playing the Emperor Concerto. I'm John Barrymore before the movies got him by the throat. I'm Jesse James and his two brothers, all three of them. I'm W. Shakespeare, and out there, it's not Third Avenue any longer. It's the Nile, Nat, the Nile, and down it floats into the barge of Cleopatra. It's like, fuck, dude. Yeah. You have a problem. (laughs) This is the only way you feel important. Holy hell. And I just thought that was brilliant for 45 to go there. That, like, in that early in cinema, I was so impressed. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great pick. That's what I, I I chose that too, but I chose a backup just in case. Um, (laughs) I love, I love that. It wrapped the movie up, you know. Um, And yeah, him and Nat. You know, kind of like reminds me of The Shining, where you're like, "Oh boy!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think that's an accident. I'm sure Kubrick was 
was watching yeah. this when he was trying to think, you know, I got, I got a drunk. How do I frame him? <laughs> yeah. So, so good. Uh, a good, a good bartender and like solo attendee scene is, is always, is always great. Uh, where it's just mono mono. Like, what are we doing this for? It's like, well, you're the one pouring the, pouring the drinks. So whose fault is this really? You know, uh, I've always loved that kind of psychological side to it. Um, but my backup was the last lines of the movie. John says, out there in the great big concrete jungle, I wonder how many others are out there are like me. Poor, poor guys on fire with thirst. Such comical figures to the rest of the world as they stagger blindly towards another binge, another bender, another spree. And then it says the end, you know? <laughs> you're like, oh my God. <laughs> I love how it ends with like, you're not even sure if like, he, he's probably going to fall off the wagon again. Like there's no certainty that he's gotten over anything. Because yeah. that's how it is. Hundred percent. There, there's, you know, it's so hard to kick it. And I like that the movie doesn't just try to wrap it up in a bow. It's like, no, this shit's going to be hard. It's going to plague him the rest of his life. Yeah, brilliant. God, it's so good. I also, I also really like the uh, Don says, "Just give me another drink," and Nat says, "Mr. Burnham, it's the morning." <laughs> Don says, "That's when you need it most in the morning." Haven't you learned that yet? At night, this stuff's a drink. In the morning, it's medicine. <laughs> God damn! Like rationalization from a straight up junkie, right there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's so committed. You know, Don Don's just a committed committed character. Uh, the Ennio Morricone Award. I had a, I had a few moments here that I kind of just was jotting down. I was writing in my in my notes on my phone. I was like, oh, that was cool. That was cool. Because uh, you know the, these old scores, there it's hard to you know we're we're much more inclined to know what it's called and exactly what it is and what kind of piece of history it is. If it's a, you know, big John Williams score, you know, one of those guys or a Hans Zimmer, you know, score from like the past 20 years. So this is, this is, this is tougher to pick because you really got to feel it. You know, that first time you watch it, you really got to feel something. So what'd you go with here? I went with, it was right after um, when Don ends up alone in the apartment for the first time. Mm. And he just goes nuts looking for any kind of booze, looking for a bottle he might have hid at one point. And the music sounded so much like actual spiraling. Like the music felt like I'm watching a man lose control. And I am. And I was very impressed with that because like I've never, you know, it just felt perfect for the scene. And uh, later on, it happens again. Anytime he's, you know, he has no booze in immediate sight and he's looking for it. He gets more frantic and the music gets more frantic. And you're just watching him spiral. It's, it's great. Yeah, brilliant stuff. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, oh, God, I love that. I love the the setting of the apartment. Billy, Billy Wilder is so good at setting the stage for stuff like that. Obviously, the apartment. So good at kind of just capturing someone's everyday life. And what the kind of the details, the point A to point B moments are of a person's life. And obviously with this one, it's, it's scary and it's dark. And the score reflects that very well. It's a uh, uh, composer is Miklos Rosa. I don't know quite how you say it, but we've talked about him before on our episode for Spellbound because he also did that score. So uh, was also an Oscar winner for that, for that movie. I love that what you said about Wilder and how he kind of captures, you know, the essence of everyday life. Because so few filmmakers did that back then. Everything was so operatic and dramatic and over the top and movies about, you know, Jesus Christ and presidents. But you had filmmakers like this who were just making a movie about a guy and his battle with alcoholism or you know, another guy, you know, having to give his apartment to his boss so he could bang his secretary. Like little things that 
were more relatable than stories about, you know, Spartacus. And I, I, I respect that big time. I, I love that. Without these guys, you wouldn't have filmmakers like, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson and the Coen brothers doing the same thing. Yeah. Talking about, and, and Vince Gilligan, you know, a better yeah. call Saul is like all about the space between the notes. Like what actually happened during that time when you hear, when you hear this and see that, what happened in between? Like that's the most interesting stuff. I've always been more interested in the journey than the destination. Like always, always been that way. And that's, that's from a uh, rest in peace. One of my favorite basketball players of all time, Bill Russell, he just passed away. He, he, one of his biggest quotes was never, ever forget the destination, you know, never forget that it's the reason you got there is because of the journey, you know, never forget why you got there. And I've, I've always loved that. He's like all about enjoying the journey. And I've always kind of adopted that as, as my own. And uh, especially with storytelling and movies, it's like, if you're not having fun for that runtime, what the fuck are you doing? You know, if you're just waiting for, if you're waiting for a finale the whole time, yeah. Why why watch 60 episodes of this shit, you know? Yeah. It's a it's about that journey, about falling in love with someone's storytelling. And you know, the last weekend certainly Billy Wilder has certainly done that for me like multiple times now and I at first my head was kind of turned, now I'm like, okay, this guy's a genius, you know. <laughs> yeah, I agree, man. 100%. For me, he won me over immediately with Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, Sunset, The Apartment, and Lost Weekend is like, that's, I mean, come on. That's a great, great trio of movies. Uh, Some Like It Hot, you know, yeah, this guy's a freak. Uh, My Enyo goes to a really, really specific moment. Really, it gets gets weird. The the music almost feels like a sci-fi movie where it's kind of droning in and out. Uh, And it's one of my favorite moments of the movie because our our, our guy Don is trying. Uh, It's when he's about to meet her parents for the first time. Oh yeah. And they're kind of at that station. They're sitting on the bench and he's right behind him and he hears them talking about him and he decides he's holding a gift and they're like, he's a fucking loser. You know, he has no job. He, he, you know, he dropped out of school, whatever. Um, He's a, he's a quote unquote writer who hasn't really finished anything. And they just, they just fucking lay it on him and he, they don't, but they don't know that he's right there and he's got a gift and everything. He stands up. He does this whole kind of cat and mouse game. He's kind of, you know, Jane, Jane Wyman. Yeah, man, she's, she's so good in every scene that she does that, I, that I've seen her do in any movie. During this one, I was like, I feel like she's underutilized because she's so captivating and so good. But I love this kind of cat and mouse game that he plays with her where the, he's kind of going around the station, hiding, up, hiding behind people, using his hat because everybody wore hats like that back then. And it's such a unique scene kind of a thrilling everyday kind of thriller aspect to it. And I love the score behind it. I love how it captured a guy who is about to enter a situation that could really change his life. And he could, you know, seek their approval. He could, you know, win them over with his wit and whatever, but he decides to go back and, and, you know, turn to alcohol again. And, you know, I felt the relatability to the, to the, to this scene. Um, I feel like there have been times in my life, not so much these days anymore, but I feel like there have been times in my life where I would avoid people that either, that either love me or were related to someone that I love in order to just kind of never actually try anything or never commit to anything. I feel like up until I met my wife now, Brianna, I really never gave that full effort to get to know someone's family or friends or whatever it may be 
I feel like once I met her, I was like, okay, like that needs to change. But it took me a second, you know, it took me a second to meet Brianna's mother and meet her, her brother and these different people. We were dating a while before I was okay with doing that. And I feel like I avoided it on purpose. Like I did things to sabotage those moments. And I was like, this is a really well done scene. Cause I've, I felt that before. Or I, I remember I work at a grocery store. I remember when I was younger and I would go to the grocery store and I saw someone I knew, I'd be like, I don't want to have that. I don't want to talk to them. You know, I, don't, I want to avoid them at all costs. Now it's like, what do I have to lose? You know, you, I mean, what are you going to say hi and move on? I feel like there is something that holds people back from just kind of being able to talk to people and being comfortable with who they are, you know, and being comfortable with presenting themselves as they are. And I finally have gotten over that. And I felt like I was like, damn, Don, like you, you got this, like, it's going to be okay. You have a gift. You're, 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 you're a fun guy to talk to. Just, just meet them. It could change your life. You never know what could happen. And unfortunately he, he just, he runs. And that was such a, that was such a captivating scene that I was like, this, this is the stuff that I, I, again, I enjoy so much the space between the notes. Oh yeah, man. Uh, it's, you know, I think, you know, from Don and I'm, I think, you know, a little bit for you, it might've been, you know, a bit of a lack of confidence, you know, self-confidence, sure. you know, Brianna, I think, gave you a lot more confidence and that's great. You know, I've seen, you know, over the course of, you know, all of these shows and, you know, I've been kind of at the beginning of, you know, you guys' relationship, yeah. I've seen you blossom into a much more confident, you know, host and person. And I'm, I'm 100% sure that that was her. So yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you, 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 you've kind of, you know, pinpointed that. Oh, for sure. She, yeah, she's, you know, married her for a reason. She's awesome. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, you really have been literally there almost, almost the entire time. Uh, you've been able to kind of witness that. So I'm sure it's obvious and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And I, I love scenes like that, that you can like pinpoint a past part of your life where you're like, wow, I, I get that. I get what he's going through here. Like I remember back when we were doing the bonus episodes of Filmgasm, I remember I, I suggested that like, you know, you lead those episodes, but you told me that, you know, you weren't, you weren't comfortable doing that. You weren't ready to, to kind of lead your own thing. And now here we are well over a hundred episodes into a show you created and you've helmed every single time. And it's fucking, I'm proud of you, man. No, now no one else can. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, I, I like, if I'm not here, I'm like, aha, something's missing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely enjoy. This is, this is kind of my alley um, is being able to kind of, use the Oscars as a vehicle to talk about movies I really care about. So yeah, I'm very grateful to you for kind of pushing me to get here. Um, so yeah, I love when music does that to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That uh, clearly resonated with you, man. That was a good pick. Yeah. That's why I really connected with this movie. I was like, even though, you know, I, I definitely drank too much at a certain point in my life. I was never like Don, but uh, <laughs> I definitely had moments of, mm, yeah, you need, you need to stop. It's like not helping you and you're kind of forgetting about, what's what what's important so there there were things that i i really connected to and, and again you pointed out at the top of the show really is that the commitment from billy wilder to just go for it with this movie and this script is so compelling and i i, I respect it so much so uh yeah good stuff yeah. the commitment was so big i found out the liquor industry offered um i think it was mgm like five million dollars or something to cancel the movie they're like, do not release this movie. And it's Billy Wilder said, like, he said jokingly, like, if they've offered, if they offered me the money directly, I would have canceled the movie immediately. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, this was, you know, you didn't tackle people drank, people drank, people smoked. That was just what society, you know, American society was about for half of the 20th century. So when you went after those industries, the, you know, the people making money off that tried to sabotage that shit as quickly as they could. So the fact that Wilder like went through with this speaks volumes about his character and his commitment. Mm, yeah, I love that. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah we really, we really, uh, yeah, went for it there for for about sixty years. Uh, Americans just fucking throwing the throwing the glass back and puffing away all goddamn day. So uh, <laughs> it's it's really crazy. That's why these you know film noir and all this stuff uses that stuff so well. You know. Uh, using using alcohol and bars and and the, the smoke all over the screen is always a fascinating touch. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for the best performance of the movie. I mean, do you think there's competition here? There really isn't. This is Ray Milland's yeah. movie. Yeah, um, and this was kind of it for him. Like he, this didn't he what, he wasn't able to parlay this into much of a big career. He did a lot of B movies, a lot of like shitty sci fi movies. He was the bad guy in Dial M for Murder, which I knew him from. But other than that, it was just kind of like one and done, which is a shame. You know, I, I read that his um, he didn't even give a speech. He just walked up, got his Oscar and walked off. Yeah, he, I think he was a very like maybe nervous kind of self-contained man who just was like all about the performance, but didn't want any of the celebrity, which I get. You know, there's a lot of that today, but he is lights out amazing in this movie. He really is. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's in his late 30s and this movie comes out and. I guess is one nomination and one win for him. You know, that's very rare that people, someone does that get all one and one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you just wonder, you wonder what could have, what could have happened if he, you know, got, got, got to stream together some stuff. He, um, like you said, he went up there and just kind of accepted it real quick. And Joan Crawford wasn't even there at the, at the uh, ceremony to accept hers. She was, she was sick apparently. <laughs> Well, then she waited till she heard she won and she's, she got the press in her hotel room and she was like, here I am, a winner. Like, yeah. A strange woman she was. Extremely. Uh, yeah. Great performance, though, in Mildred Pierce. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it is like a really unique best actor win and best best actress win. These two people, you know, complete opposite <laughs> of, of opposite ends of the spectrum. But, yeah, he, he is he is lights out. Ray does a wonderful job in this movie and it was kind of i think something that held me back from watching it for so long was you know this is this is my fault it, it doesn't have gregory peck in it. it doesn't have humphrey bogart in it. it doesn't have one of the one of those guys from the 40s that you're like i have to see everything they do yeah and that's you know shame on me you know they're it's up to the movie not so much you know the stars in it and uh this you know taught me that lesson once again that you, you just never know. Uh, I, I love Jane Wyman. Everything I've seen her in so far, I, I've been sold, and I think she's incredible. So I was able to to appreciate her, but also find a new love for this guy that has one of the most unique Oscar wins I've ever witnessed. It's interesting that you don't have that kind of approach to more modern films. You just like oh no, it. but back then you're like I need a I need an anchor. Y- yeah, for thirties, forties, fifties, it's usually is it Brando? Is it is it Humphrey? You know, is it is it Hepburn? You know, it, it just, it, it's just, that's just how it is. Cause so many of them have fucked me over <laughs> and, 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 and really anchors away Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra recipe for, Oh yeah. 
fuck that movie, you know? So really it's not up to the it's not up to the stars. It's up to so much more that goes into a movie. But I'm yeah, I'm definitely not like that these days, uh, with you know, movies that are modern. I much more care about, you know, who's behind it, what are the intentions. You know, a movie like Prey is yeah, I mean, I like the guy who made the movie and I love the Predator movies, you know, they all have a kind of a soft spot and for, for in my heart and I really like what they do with the cast, so I'm going to check it out. You know, is that kind of a thing? No, no one's really in that movie. It's not Leo's not fucking in it. You know, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's much different these days. Probably just because the generation I've grown up in and I've found my niches, but I'm still working on it with these these old movies. I'm still working on it. Well, that's good. I'm I'm glad you're you're working on it because yeah, there's there's so many gems out there that you know have actors who might be you know amazing superstars that we just don't know about. Because when mm-hmm. I told, like, my grandparents follow this show because you know, we do a lot of older movies that they've seen. And when I told them we were doing The Lost Weekend, my grandma lit up. And she's like, oh, Ray Milan, that movie's incredible. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I didn't know who this guy was. And I looked into him and I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, so, that's cool. It, that's cool. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's neat. We're, yeah, I, I can dig that. Uh, you know, now, now we're a part of that conversation. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm totally, totally down with that. I do... I do want to see uh, this movie that he's in, uh, The Uninvited from 1944. Just, just looks kind of like up our alley. Uh, got got decent ratings, decent scores, and whatnot. Uh, and he he, I don't know. He's the he's the lead in it as well. So I'm just kind of curious. It's, it's a year before, um, and you know, it's a horror mystery fantasy movie, is what it says. So I, I'm down to see that one. Yeah, absolutely. Oscar nominee for best cinematography. Yep. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm curious about that one now, and I'll probably try to check it out. It's got a really cool poster. The Uninvited is a great fucking title for a movie. So I'm down. Da- I'm down to keep you know keep looking at his stuff, even though he's not. Yeah. Again, not Gregory Peck. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's definitely the PSH winner. It's not really close. Love you, Jane Wyman, but this was this was his in the bag pretty much from the get go. Um, I actually think second place might be whoever plays the bartender uh nat he's he's really good <laughs> i was kind of shocked kind of shocked that he was you know that 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 actor didn't need to like really go for it but he's going for it howard de silva that's that's um, nat. howard de silva yeah i like it and I, I do like um uh philip terry the guy who plays his brother wick yeah. wick was funny at, at times he just i felt he was just so fucking done He's, he, you can tell he'd been trying for so long to help his brother. And at this point, he's just like, fuck it. He's either in or he's out. I'm done. And I, that sucks. But, you know, it's hard to help somebody who doesn't want help. Yeah. God, man. Oh, the brother who's got, like, got his, got, Don's, like, sleeping on that weird, like, futon in the living room. Yeah. Just hiding bottles. I love when he's just complaining. It's like, I have nothing. I'm only here because of my brother's goodwill. And that's fucking running out. <laughs> like, yeah. Right there. Even he's he- like. Even he knows. Yeah, he's like, I'm fucking worthless and I'm an asshole. So why do you even want to date me? <laughs> God. Oh, geez. And Jane Wyman's like, because there's something there under the core, you know? It's like, okay. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Uh, she's really chasing that initial scene from the from getting their coats. She's like chasing that feeling over and over and over. And it ain't happening, you know? Yeah. Romance is her alcohol yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it they're both dealing with an addiction um the roger deacons award best scene of the movie uh, i had i have something really specific and i'm 
curious to hear what you got because I feel like this movie strings together really well. There's not really like a weak point or a lull. No. Got a lot of lot of crazy stuff going on. So I had to kind of pinpoint a, a an exact moment. I had pretty much an exact moment too, because I I was shocked and a little freaked out. Um, it's when Don ends up in the drunk ward. Oh yeah, great stuff. And he's laying there, and the guy across from him just starts screaming at the top of his lungs. And Don wakes up terrified and he sits there and like just kind of stares as the orderlies try to, you know, pull this guy out and he doesn't stop screaming. And I'm like, this is 1945. Yeah. I didn't know you could do that. Like you could show this kind of torture, like this mental anguish in a movie this old. And it really kind of marks for me the beginning of Don thinking like, I don't want to be the screamer. Like, I don't want that to happen to me. And he starts, like, the seeds of actual change get planted there. And it's just so frightening. The guy who's screaming fucking commits. That was not a, you know, casual, like, I'm getting paid for the day scream. That was a, people are going to remember me for this movie scream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's well put. Yeah, he, he's not, yeah, he's, he, he, you could tell he worked on that. You know, he worked on that screen for days and was like, all right, I fucking got it. <laughs> uh, that was a brilliant, brilliant uh, stretch of the movie is, is, is when he, you know, he escapes right from the, from the, you know, and the way he tries to kind of bribe people and you just like this slimy bastard, you know, who's like, I'm fine. I'm well, I, I can walk out the door right now. <laughs> when he's first there and he just walks past the cop, like he's in a hotel and the guy's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's like, yeah. get all your hands off me. I'm not sick. The guy's like, no, you, you are, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, they're, you're here for a reason. I love, I love the conversation with the doctor who's like, you know, this is what you people do. You come in here, you act like things are okay, you act like you don't have a problem when really, you, you, you got a huge problem, and you you'll don't end up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll be back you, in a week. You always time. come back. Like, there's everyone comes back. It's oh my god, sad. So sad. And yeah, the just the bodies of 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 grown ass men, you know, just lined up in these little little twin beds. Oh God, what a yeah, what a frightening moment of the movie. Yeah, it's you know, he he's faced with the it's like you know, Scrooge meeting the ghost of Christmas future. Like, this is what you will become if you continue on this road. And Don has to face the facts of like, Jesus Christ, I knew I was a loser, but god damn, look at that guy. Yeah. Yeah, at least it's not that bad, which is another thing that people with an addiction will do. They'll be like, it could be worse. You know, uh, they, they'll always kind of point out, yeah, I might be scrounging and, you know, trying to steal liquor from people and steal money and steal purse from a poor old lady at a restaurant. But I'm not the crier. You know, I'm not the screamer, you know, <laughs> like, uh, always trying to validate. Um, one of my favorite scenes that I, I had a hard time not picking is that initial um meeting of of helen and don that was great i also thought the banter between the the coat guy and him was like from a seinfeld episode i was like this is fucking hilarious yeah. he's like this one says 417 you'll have to wait for all the others to come out <laughs> oh and he's like you've been very helpful yeah <laughs> yeah just, and it just stands around right in front of him pacing for the remainder of the show yeah it, i thought it was brilliant i was like that's george costanza right there you know and yeah, I was, was expecting great. him to yell like, you know, we live in a society. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. And 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 Helen, when she comes out, and you're like, oh man, Jane Wyman, she's she's stunning, you know. And and and, and you know, we haven't really explained this, but this is a lot of this is you know flashback, right? He's explaining what he's gonna 
write his novel, uh, The Bottle. You know, he's he's explaining how his novel is going to go. So there's a lot of jumping back and forth that's really seamless. And I never was like, wait, where are we? You know, it was very well, really well told. Uh, you know, back back and forth with the flashback and current. Uh, I lo- so I love that scene. I think it's a great kind of beginning of a tragic love story. But there's that specific moment closer to the end of the movie when he sees the bat kill the mouse in the wall. That was my favorite moment of the movie. And I, I, my reaction to it was like, what the fuck? Well, where did this come from? You know? And God, I love when a movie does something like that. Something so wacky and weird and hallucinatory just really shows how fucking whacked out his mind is, you know, that he's seeing this happen right in front of him. That poor little mouse. It's also just a really well done scene for 1945. I couldn't believe how they, how they captured this, this moment in the movie. And it's fucking frightening. So the, the, the ward, the kind of the ward scene that there's, you know, him, him like screaming hysterically when he sees that and his hair is all over the place. It like makes it have some horror elements and I really appreciated that about it. I thought it was quite frightening at times. This was the Requiem for a Dream of 1945. Yeah, well put. Yeah. 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 It has that same vibe. Um, yeah, that was great. I love the, yeah, the little, the, the, like the blood dripping out of the wall. Like, I kept thinking, like, who did Billy Wilder fucking bribe to get to do some of this shit? Yeah. And, and this is a best picture winner. That's just weird. Just got some really weird, wacky turns, you know. The movie we watched um, for Best Picture Showdown, you, you know, months ago, but 1946, Best Years of Our Lives. It's like nowhere near as ballsy as this movie when it comes to that kind of stuff. I love Best Years of Our Lives. I thought it was really unique and had a cool take on the on, on post-war stuff. But this movie is wacky, is fucking dark and not for everybody. And I... I respect that about it. You know, it, it moved up my, my, my rankings pretty quickly of like all the best picture winners because of just because of the set of balls that it has on it. You got it. You got to think Billy Wilder is, is the reason um, he's the reason it goes to these places. So I loved that scene and just the kind of the freak out of it and that, that specific moment. And I love when he reacts like there was a bat that killed the mouse in the wall. And she's like, where <laughs> where are you seeing that he's like right there you know and it's you know he, it's all it's all a figment of his imagination and just how far he's gone off off the rocker it's crazy it is yeah it's it's nice the seeing the progression and in a realistic way of like you know he's he's his own worst enemy and he's doing this to himself and even mm. the flashbacks you know he comes off a little favorably because it's a little bit of an unreliable narrator yeah yeah I mean, the way he, you know, Helen falls in love with him. I love when he just throws the umbrella. It's like, catch. Yeah. She's, <laughs> she's like, like you're the, the rudest, rudest man I've ever met. <laughs> like, let's let's go out. It's like, what? Like, I love when he walks up to her and he's like, I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> and picks the umbrella back up. And then he drops the liquor on the, on the, on the pavement. And like, that's obviously got to be a sign for her to be like, ah, I'm going to start walking the other way. But then he, he you know, he, he says what kind of party is it that you're going to? And she's like a cocktail party. And he's like, can I still come <laughs> after he just said he had to go uptown to go see his friend? She's like, sure. You know, like, God damn it, Helen, you're addicted to romance. Yeah. Bit of an enabler there. Uh, 
even later when his brother tell, you know tries to cover up the empty bottle by saying he's the drunk. Oh, and I love man. John walks in just like wit off his ass and is like, "Come on, Wick, look at us. Who's she gonna believe is the drunk?" <laughs> yeah, my my shirt's not even buttoned all the way. <laughs> I'm fucking and the, the scene with the gun is also brilliant. Mm. It's a brilliant scene when she's trying to you know. Oh, oh! Can I borrow your jacket? Oh, can I borrow your hat? Oh, da, da, da. she finally races to the restroom where the the gun is in the sink, and he's like, "There's nothing you can do. It's it's already begun." <laughs> like, uh, it's just man, it's just really good stuff. I'm not gonna forget this movie. You know, um, it's got a lot of like point, you know, points in the movie that you can you can go right to, and you're in the hands of a great filmmaker. Yeah, you're not wrong. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Tough, yeah. tough stuff. Um, I, I really, I really think, you know, you you own this movie. This is a movie I'm definitely going to try to try to buy. I really think on you know a couple more viewings, I, I will, I will, I will have it pretty high on my winners list. Um, so let's go ahead and do our, do our rankings of these movies. Let's go ahead and talk about where exactly we both have it. Because uh, there's another, there's another, there's another heater from this group that I, I can't wait to talk about. Um, number five is clearly the same for both of us. Uh, this movie sucks so bad, and it's really just a waste of time. Uh, you you had texted me and said that you're not even going to re- write a review for it because it just would it just be a waste of time. Uh, and that's Anchors Away. That's the that Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra musical that is like two hours and 15 minutes and has no business even being made. Um, this is the worst kind of forties movie. Worst. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't understand why so many musicals of that time are about like some kind of, you know, somebody getting a job as an actor or like starting some kind of review show. Like they're all the same fucking movie. And I can't, you know, I've really started to hate Gene Kelly. Just, his face, his fucking tap dance. I can't stand it anymore. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm over it. I'm, I'm over done it. with Gene Kelly. I liked him in Inherit the Wind because he was just, you know, second fiddle to Spencer Tracy, which was great. But Anchors Away has no plot. Shit just keeps happening. Uh, it's, it's obnoxious. It's annoying. It's irritating. It's way too fucking long. And my, I watched it with my family thinking it would be a fun thing and my grandmother who loves musicals hated every second of this mm. in fact i'm pretty sure they forced me to watch greece because of that because i kind of forced them to watch that ah so, okay yeah so we're even now but uh i've learned my lesson going that's, forward that yeah. sounds like torture for me four hours of two movies i just don't care for and... i've been thinking in rhythm for the past two hours <laughs> yeah i i totally i totally understand uh boy does this yeah this movie i will never ever watch a second of again um i'm i, I it might be you know might be the worst movie we've ever talked about on this podcast yeah fanny be damned it's been replaced yeah yeah i think anchors away fanny after that, I would have to really, really look at them. Those two stand in a different, different place of yeah, just, just shit. Uh, so why, uh, why are Tom and Jerry in this movie? <laughs> I don't know. And I was like, am I supposed to be having fun right now, or 
what am I, how am I supposed to feel from this? And I, I was so checked out half the time. I don't even, I don't even know what to tell you what the story was. There wasn't anything. It was just, they get off a boat and suddenly shit just keeps happening to them. And, um, I read that it was supposed to be Walt. Uh, there was supposed to be Mickey Mouse in the uh, the dancing scene with Jerry, but Walt Disney said no. He wouldn't let them have Mickey Mouse. And I'm, I bet he watched like some dailies and was like, "This is shit. I don't want my name on this." <laughs> yeah, and it wouldn't have helped or anything for us. You know, it still would have been shitty. And you'd just be like, "Oh, Mickey," yeah. instead of you know, yeah, yeah, Jerry. We, I would have just asked, "Why is Mickey Mouse in this movie?" <laughs> That's all that would have changed. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. This 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 belongs. Like just it should stay in the forties. There's movies that should live on. This one needs to stay where it was. Movies like yeah. this are the reason that a lot of people say they don't like old movies. And I get it. If you're watching just I, shit like this, I I would never touch anything before the nineties. I get it. I, yeah, I kind of do too. You know, I have I have some friends who are who are you know around our age in their twenties who who they love movies, and I understand that they do. And anytime I talk about something, yeah, pre really pre nineteen seventy, they're like, nah, that sounds corny or cheesy or whatever. And I'm like, that that hurts. That hurts deeply because some of my very favorite movies are from those decades. But I yeah, I get it as well. I totally get it. Because if you catch the wrong one the wrong time, it's gonna fe- it's gonna put some hatred in your heart. And yeah. and this this is this is one of those. So let's never talk about it again. Let's never talk about Anchors Away until something else is as shitty as it from the Best Picture nominees, which is going to be tough. I mean, you got to, at this point, like, I don't know what could possibly, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't even know what to rate it. You know what I mean? It's one of those just like, I I don't care. Don't care. I gave it one star on Letterboxd. I don't plan on writing a review about it. In fact, this has kind of pushed me away from wanting to write reviews about certain movies. So thanks a bunch, Anchors Away. You've poked a hole in something that has been a consistent part of my life for almost a decade. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, George Sidney, for directing this pile of dog shit. <laughs> uh, number four. I'll let you start with your number four. I think we're going to have some like slight changes here. We'll go back and forth. Your number four, I think I know what it is, but I'm pretty sure it's the movie that we did from this year already. Let's hear you it. Would, you would be correct. Number four is Spellbound. Okay. Uh, not a bad film just not nearly as good as I wanted. Uh, yeah, that's fair. You give, you give me Gregory Peck and Ingrid Bergman directed by Alfred Hitchcock. I have insanely high expectations. Mm. And I just felt this was a kind of an aimless film with really stupid characters making really stupid decisions. That's fair. Yeah. With a weird dream sequence that doesn't really need to be there. No, uh, that's like my favorite part of the movie, but I don't like, it doesn't it doesn't really fit, you know? Yeah. So Anchors Away is the only bad movie here. Everything else is, you know, up to up to uh, your own taste. And Spellbound just to me didn't add up. I wanted way more from this. Yeah, yeah. I think I initially gave this movie an eight back when we did that. I think I think it's probably more of a seven. Like it's fine. It's, it passes, but I'm not I'm not a, not a huge fan. That's my number three. My hmm. number four is the bell. My number four is the Bells of St. Mary's. Okay. I watched this movie back when we did. Fuck. Uh, probably Gaslight. Uh, I was probably doing some Ingrid Bergman uh, research. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is because I also watched Autumn Sonata at that time. Um, and I remember I, I liked it. You know, I love Ingrid Bergman. I think she's just like such a fucking monstrous, like brilliant performer. Uh, 
But this movie, it's just like, I don't know. It's just, I, I feel as some of the things you were saying about going my way. And I know I haven't seen that one. I will one day. Uh, but but it's just a bit dull, a bit kind of like, okay, I get it. Like the sappy is a great way of, of describing this kind of a movie. There are some cute moments. There's some stuff where you're like, ah, that warms the heart. But it's not very challenging. It doesn't really, it doesn't really take religion to places that I want to see it go. This feels like something I would have watched in Sunday school when I was like 10. You're just kind of like, ah, that's nice. You know, Christians can be good. You know, this, <laughs> this is an okay idea if it's in the right hands. But I'm just like, I, I don't know. It's fine. I think it's fine. I think Crosby and, and, and Bergman, they, they've got good, they got a good chemistry. They got a good little, little thing going to, to, again, two big time performers from, from their era. Uh, so it's not, it's not something I wouldn't ever watch again, but I'm not going to be racing to it. You know what I mean? So I also give this movie a seven. I think it's pretty good, but not, not like a best picture nominee type movie. So um, I'm guessing this is your number three. It is my number three. Yeah. It's weird. The same the problems you had with it to me were the positives. I liked seeing a movie that was like using God in the right way. Cause I've seen yeah. so many movies of just, you know, the monstrous things done in the name of religion. It was nice to see just a nun and a priest who wanted to help some kids. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I liked I how, get... how, yeah, sappy and just nice it was. It was nice. Yeah. You prefer that? I prefer doubt. <laughs> Where I like those like movies too, but fucking you know. horrible shit happening inside of a you know church slash school, and everybody's like, ah, I'm questioning everything. <laughs> uh, I, I like them those movies too, and I get why you would re- you know respond more to that than a movie like The Bells of St. Mary's, which I get you know at, if you're watching it with a certain mindset, it can seem incredibly disingenuous, which I understand. But I just Crosby and Bergman together worked for me. I liked yeah, this, yeah, the idea yeah. of just like this miser who they kind of trick into thinking he's dying so they can get the building, which is pretty underhanded. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that scene where you think he got hit by a car and then he's like, I'm fine. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> so it was, I don't know. Something about this one just worked for me. It was like a little bit better than going my way, which I gave a seven. I gave this one an eight and uh, I thought it was charming. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to that. There you go. That's good. I'm glad it. I'm glad it's a uh, a sequel that you liked more, you know, than yeah. the original. And that that's really that's that's history right there. Is it's the first sequel to ever be nominated for best picture. You know, this doesn't that does not happen. You know, sequels don't don't get that kind of a love, especially one like this. That's uh, going my way, a winner, and then Bell's the same Mary's a, a nominee. Like that's a that's an interesting piece of history for the Oscars. Well, and back then, you know, I mean, you barely even had sequels. You had like Son of Kong and exactly. Frankenstein. You didn't have yeah. like movie like Going My Way was not going to get a follow up. So, yeah, yeah, just the rarity of it is is kind of neat. The novelty. Yeah, Bing Crosby was like, let's let's go again. Yeah. Um, okay, so Anchor's Way five for both of us. Spellbound's your four, my three. Bells of Saint Mary's is your three, my four. Yeah. Okay, so number two and number one. Here we go. What do you got? Um, okay. My number two is The Lost Weekend. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a great movie. You know, we've, we talked about how awesome a movie it is, how it's a trailblazer, how it's important to so many people probably. And it's lights out and I'm glad it won. I, I don't want to take that away. I'm glad it won. It's one of the few films of this era that I feel like truly does deserve the win. Okay. 
I just really, really, really like Mildred Pierce. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too, man. Mildred Pierce kicks ass. It's my it's my number two. Lost weekend's my number one. But there, this is one of those years where I'm like, I'm glad we have these two. I'm really glad we have these. In my opinion, stack them up against almost any best picture category, and they have they have a seat at the table. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I love when we have like a you know head to head one v one kind of deal here, and yeah, Mildred Pierce is such a cool movie. It's not at all what I thought it was was going to be. Same. Uh, yeah, I love a nice noir. It's it's so nice to just get lost in a whodunit. And Joan Crawford, Jesus Christ, what a what a powerhouse, dude! <laughs> gee, fucking hell, man. This is this is quickly like one of the quickest best actress wins that's become like ah, uh, this is one I'm gonna remember and talk about forever. Yeah. And I've—I don't think I've ever hated a movie character more than I've hated her daughter. Holy oh, shit, Vita, con- conniving you. bitch! <laughs> You're gonna give your mother shit because she works at a restaurant supporting your lavish ass lifestyle, you fucking sponge of a human being! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, you thought you thought Sir Sharonin was annoying in Lady Bird. This. The book has been rewritten, my friends. Yeah, the slate has been wiped clean. I have a whole new person to hate. <laughs> my God. I've, I've never hated a teenage character as much as this one. Never. What the fuck? I mean, and then what does she do? She, she bangs her stepdad. Like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> oh, and, and the stepdad. Fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah, you they're know? Both, both are trying to hurt Mildred. Why? Mildred does nothing but help people the whole goddamn movie. She does nothing but support her family, be good to her friends, pay her pay people back. She's a good person, and everyone around her either wants to fuck her or fuck her over. I don't like what. Oh, it's the fact that it got this far into my head tells me that like this is a great movie. <laughs> yeah, and 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 a great performance from Anne Blythe. She knocks it out of the park and is nominated for it, and and she's. Yeah, she's incredible. This is this is a actor's movie. This is a clinic being put on by so many people. Jack Carson is great. Zachary Scott is great. Eve Arden is great. Anne Blythe, and of course, Joan Crawford. Just what a fucking brilliant performer. Obviously, you know she's she's got some some demons uh, that that we could always talk about. I I, I want to do this movie as its own episode to really dive into Joan Crawford one day. Oh. Uh, yeah, this get, this is. I get paid on Monday, and I plan on buying the Criterion edition of this, so I'm gonna have it. So we will do. It, it, it yeah, it's one of those where I remember when we watched Church of the Sierra Madre and and you know the red shoes in those movies after we when we did the Hamlet episode for 1948, yeah. we were like, we'll see you down the road. <laughs> like, that's exactly how I feel about Mildred Pierce. Exactly how I feel. Yeah, man, I was I was enamored. It made me want to read the book. Yeah, uh, they're, apparently they're apparently they're polar opposites. Yeah, they're polar opposites. But the the, the writer of the book sent a, a message to the director, being like, "Well done," or no, he sent, he sent a message to Joan saying, "You brought her to life in a way nobody else could have done." Thank you. I'm like, oh fuck. So, and it, it's been remade a lot. It's one of those classic stories that's been redone a whole bunch of times. But this was the first. And yeah, I kind of want to see the other versions, see how it stacks up, see if they were a little closer to the novel or if they did their own thing or if Vita is a little bit redeemable, even a little bit more. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm curious. I definitely have always wanted to see that mini series from like about 10 years ago with Kate Winslet. Yeah. Um, believe. Yeah. That's an HBO show. So I've always wanted to see that. It's got Guy Pierce, Evan Rachel Wood. So it's an interesting cast and I, I would love to check it out. Um, you know, Evan Rachel Wood, of course, plays, you know, the bitch that we're talking about. So uh, what I am what I am curious about, though, is. If you if you read the book, I know we're both we both have like interesting thoughts about adapting. Is it going to be one of those where you're like, man, what if they would have stayed true to it? And it would have been it could have been an even better movie. I don't know. Here's the thing with that. I've noticed this about me. I only seem to care about that if I read the book before I see the movie. If I see the movie yes. first and then I read the book, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. You're like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, because that, that, that Joan Crawford is Mildred in your mind now. Like, there's yeah. no, you can't really take that away. Like, when I watched Ready Player One, I was like, this is an awesome movie. I enjoy this. And then a couple of years later, I wrote, I read the book. Vastly different. The characters are all pretty different. It's a lot more grown up. The challenges aren't even the same. And I was like, this is still pretty good. I was like, I have the book and I have the movie. So if I just reverse it, I don't have any problem. <laughs> okay. I can dig funny. that. I like that. That's that's really interesting. Um, yeah, that's why Kubrick's Shining has never bothered me, because I saw that years before I read uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Don't you love don't you love a good a good best picture one too is is just the best. So you, you have you have Pierce number one uh, and I have it number two. And of course, Lost Weekend is, is swapped for both of us. So yeah, we're very close here. And we just have things like a slightly askewed. I, I figured that's kind of how it would go. So Anchors Away, number five for me. Bells of St. Mary's, number four. Spellbound, number three. Mildred Pierce, number two. Lost Weekend, number one. For you, it's Anchors Away, uh, number five. Spellbound, number four. Bells of St. Mary's, number three. The Lost Weekend, number two. And Mildred Pierce, number one. Love that. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's, a, it's an interesting group. You know, it's not great. But it's solid, you know. It, it's really holding on to those top two movies. Like, they need they need them. So, are these um, Mildred Pierce and Lost Weekend? Are they are they both eights for you? Did one of them reach up to a nine? Uh, Mildred Pierce, maybe. They're both eights, but they both have potential to go up. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I went ahead and uh, yeah, I'd say Anchors Away is like a, a, a I don't even know a, a, a two a one I don't know. Uh, Bells of St Mary's is seven. Spellbound seven. Mildred Pierce, eight, Lost Weekend, nine. I love the Lost Weekend. I'm so glad we got to do it. This is this is one of those things where you and I talk almost every single day about movies in some capacity. And I remember, I still remember, because these moments matter to me. Again, the like little things, how you get to that destination. I remember texting and picking this movie and just being committed right away. And look where we are now. Like It actually was good. It paid off. We've enjoyed our, our ride getting here. So uh, the Lost Weekend Criterion Channel, please, please check it out. It's great, great stuff. And uh, I do, before we get out of here, I, I would like to uh, look at some of the other categories that it was nominated for. Uh, we don't have to, you know, really get into it because we haven't seen a lot of these movies because it's, you know, 80 fucking years ago. But I do think it's I do think it's fun to kind of just look at stuff and some of the things we can have an opinion on, you know, because we've seen the five best picture nominees. Uh, and of course those bleed over. So let's go to uh, the ones that I was nominated for. <sighs> I mean, best score. There's like a hundred movies in that category. So I guess we'll go ahead and get, get that one over with now. Um, I believe it's best dramatic or comedy score. Is that right for last weekend or what yeah, is it? Yeah. I don't know. 
that's what it is because back in the day, like musical had its own weird categories. So everything else got pushed into this category. Okay. Oh yeah. I'm struggling to find that. Cat- oh, I just got to find the category that has a hundred movies in it. And <laughs> it'll, it'll be there. Uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Miklos Rosa was nominated three times in this category uh, from this year. There's music song scoring of a musical picture. Is that it? Um, it'll no. be right next okay. to that. Yeah. Okay. Spellbound I see, the winner I, see, that I see it. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Spellbound one. I'm just going to roll through these. Uh, the nominees are the bells of St. Mary's Brewster's millions, captain kid, the enchanted cottage, Flame of Barbary Coast, GI Honeymoon, GI Joe. What the fuck? <laughs> what? What is that? Uh, guest in the house, guest wife, uh, the keys of the kingdom, the lost weekend, love letters, the man who walked alone, objective Burma, Paris Underground, a song to remember, the Southerner, this love of ours. The Valley of Decision and The Woman in the Window. That is just far too many goddamn movies. At this point, like, is it even an honor to win that? I mean, if, if every movie that year is up, is it really a, a victory? <laughs> I mean, it might be cool to win, but to just be a random nomination, I mean, who gives a shit? There's 30 of you. So, I, and what G.I. Honeymoon and G.I. Joe, both up. Like, what? Guest in the house and guest wife. You know, there, there's movies, there's so many that they are copying each other's fucking titles. Oh, Christ. Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, I mean, I, I would have given this to The Lost Weekend. Frankly, I think the score is actually trying. Uh, and yeah. I don't really remember Spellbound's score enough to comment on it. So that tells me all I need to know. Yeah, there's like a couple of cool moments, but yeah, the, the last weekend score is actually really good. But there's no way in hell you and I will ever be able to really say because I am not going to sit through all of those movies. You no, know, I doubt, um, I doubt, I think a lot of them probably gone, like probably lost to time. 100%. They would have to be completely re, revamped and, and, and saved. You know, it's, it's, it, it, it shows, um, it shows how, how good a film is or how well it's respected when it really does last over, over you know, 80, 90 years uh, because someone someone cared enough to keep it keep it going. And that's why we're talking about The Lost Weekend and Mildred Pierce and not fucking Objective Burma. <laughs> <laughs> which was, which was uh, you know, it's in this next category. Best film editing. Uh, the winner was National Velvet. I think that's a movie about a horse. Like a like a horse that that races. I've I've I feel like I've seen that movie. And it's like it's like categorized as a sports movie. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. Um, the Bells of St. Mary's, The Lost Weekend, Objective Burma, and A Song to Remember are the other nominees. I don't know. I mean, if we're going between The Lost Weekend and Bells of St. Mary's, I, I guess The Lost Weekend. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like you 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 said earlier that you know it it seems so seamless. So I think you know the way this film's edited is significant so that tells me you know yeah give it a give, give it it's it's due and yeah. you were right national velvet is about a horse okay yeah i know i've seen something about that movie uh before don't know why probably because i can't stop reading about and talking about this 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 shit <laughs> um best cinematography black and white the winner is the picture of dorian gray the nominees are the keys of the kingdom the lost weekend 
Mildred Pierce and Spellbound. So we have three here that we can talk about. Um, I think I'd go Mildred Pierce on this one. I would as well. Yeah. I love the way that movie's filmed. It's just, it feels so bleak, but also like kind of happy because Mildred's so convinced that like everything's going swimmingly. I, I don't know. It just, I like the vibe of that movie big time. There's something about how Jane, Joan Crawford's face is filmed in that movie where the shadows, you know, the black and white, it's like it's ominous, but also, yeah, like you said, kind of gives you this hope, you know, to this hardworking woman. I don't know. There's some really good moments that'll stick with me as far as just the way it was shot. Uh, really right from the get-go when we first see the murder, uh, you know, kind of things going down and you're like, Man, this is tense, you know, the way the way it's shot at night, also black and white, just really high level filmmaking there. So I definitely go Mildred Pierce. Yeah, as would I. I just keep thinking about Wally, that poor simp who almost got like arrested for the murder because Mildred tried to pin it on him. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that that was Wally. I kept going back and forth on Wally. But ultimately, at the end of the movie, I was like, I like Wally. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's an interesting character. I was just like, dude, like, stop trying. Like, give up. She's not going to sleep with you. Y- yeah, yeah. There's that specifically that one time where he goes over, goes over to her house or whatever, and I was like, dog, he, 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 this is a lost cause. You know, he, you have no chance. And the way she was rejecting him was quite funny, actually. Well, he just—he also sounded so much like Humphrey Bogart that I would close my eyes and imagine it was him, and that was just—that was delightful. I What's a big idea? A see why you lead the man on like that? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's well put. Uh, I think I think a lot of people are going for the Bogart, you know. Um, at this time, they're like, "How can I? How can I cut? Co- you know, copy that man? He—he—he he, he was incredible." Uh, screenplay. These are the uh, categories that the last weekend won. Obviously, we've talked about best picture. We'll talk about screenplay, director, and best actor lead role. Uh, screenplay was the last weekend. Charles Brackett, Billy Wilder. The nominees: GI Joe, the fuck, Mildred Pierce, Pride of the Marines, and A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. A Tree Grows in Brooklyn sounds like a like a drama A twenty four movie that would come out now. <laughs> I, I just want to point out real quick. This has nothing to do with the G.I. Joe toy. Not yet. <laughs> like G.I. Joe, the toy came out after the war. I'm sure based on, you know, the, the, the army, you know, the soldiers, this movie G.I. Joe was a term for just like, you know, the average soldier. Yeah. So, yeah. It's still to us. It seems ridiculous. Cause it's like G.I. Joe up for a bunch of Oscars. Correct. <laughs> Correct. It's funny now. Back then, not very funny, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, but, so uh, we got two movies we can we can talk about here. They're both great. Um, I don't know. I think I'd ultimately... This is tough. This is tough. I think I ultimately might go Mildred Pierce here, surprisingly. I, I mean, I love the Lost Weekend screenplay, but Mildred Pierce is doing something with, like, a bunch of different characters... Mm-hmm. And in the last week, it's a lot of, a lot of you know monologue, a lot of like inner inner thought. I do like when a, when a screenplay is bouncing off different characters, and it does it does a damn good job. Uh, all really all the way up until the end. So I think I think I'd go Mildred Pierce here. I would go Lost Weekend. Okay. I like I do like the singular focus on Don and his problem, and how he kind of has to you know 
figure it out for himself. And I do, I think the monologues are great. And I also got to take into account that the screenplay of Mildred Pierce was not particularly well adapted. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So last weekend I, I, I've heard is pretty close. So that, that, that's a factor for adapted screenplay for me. Even if I haven't read the source material, I still got to take that into account. That's totally fair. Totally understand that. Um, I, yeah. I wonder what's harder, or I guess you're, you're much more of a writer than I am. What's harder to do a singular, like individual type story or, or is it easier to have more characters that you have to kind of keep up with? It is so much easier to write one person. Yeah. Because you, you know, if you forget a couple people, you lose sight of that. By the time you're well into the manuscript, you got to backtrack so hard. You got to figure out like, how do I put these guys back in? And I've done that before. I've, I've had to cut whole characters because I forgot to include them in the third act and I didn't have any place for them now. And that sucks. So I haven't written a screenplay, but I've written a few novels and I don't know if it's, I'm sure it's similar. The process depends on who you are, I guess. But um, I've always found it way easier to write like just a singular focused character journey. Okay. I, I, yeah, that makes sense. That, it, that character better be good though. <laughs> that yes, one. <laughs> exactly. it, better, it better be amazing. It better be your best work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I get that. Um, which is a great way to bleed into best actor in a lead role. Uh, the winner is Ray Milan for Lost Weekend. Uh, the nominees, other nominees are Bing Crosby, Bells of St. Mary's. Gene Kelly for Anchors Away. God damn. Uh, Gregory Peck for The Keys of the Kingdom. And Cornell Wilde for A Song to Remember. I mean, this is not really a competition. I know. I mean, how could anybody have defeated Gene Kelly for Anchors Away? Yeah. I mean, the guy got robbed. <laughs> Who did he blow to get there? Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> Fucking Gene Kelly. I, I don't have a lot of respect for Gene Kelly. I really don't. Neither do I. Neither do I. This is, yeah, this is. This is the guy that singing in the rain and American in Paris and, you know, just feels like he doesn't have like a whole lot of range. You know, well, this is the guy who bullied Debbie Reynolds to the point where her feet were bleeding and he still made her keep dancing. And Fred Astaire is the guy who's, you know, sort of like, young lady, why are you crying? And she was like, I can't dance. And he's like, well, let me show you a thing or two. And Fred Astaire taught her how to dance. So Gene Kelly wouldn't fucking hurt her anymore. Yeah. And Fred Astaire is the fucking man. So, yeah, yeah. nothing but love for Fred Astaire. Gene Kelly can rotten hell. Yeah, what sucks is Gene Kelly gets one nomination for his entire career, and it's this fucking movie, Anchors Away. But he won an honorary award six years later in appreciation of his versatility as an actor, singer, director, and dancer. My ass. <laughs> versatility. Yeah. Because <laughs> he can Specific- dance his way into people's hearts does not make him a great actor. <laughs> and it says specifically for his brilliant... <laughs> Hold on, that's a big word for him. Brilliant achievements in the art of choreography on film. Neat. Cool. Uh, I mean, there's about a thousand other people I feel like I could name that deserve an honorary award over that guy. So if you're a Gene Kelly fan, I'm really sorry. But um, obviously, we're not fans here. You're a Gene Kelly fan. You are willing to let a lot of dark shit slip. So, I don't. yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah. This was Ray Milan's Oscar Lose. He was incredible. I'm glad he won. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. Uh Directing, Mr. Billy Wilder won for the last weekend, and he beat Leo McCary for Bells of St. Mary's, Clarence Brown for National Velvet, that fucking horse movie, there it is again, uh, The Southerner by Jean Renoir, I'd like to see that one, and Spellbound, Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock, 
very rarely gets uh, gets love from the Oscars, right? We've we've talked about that before. Why this movie of all of his like masterpieces? This is this is one of the directing nominations. Does he have just two or one? Like well, how many? How many does he have? I think it was it was Spellbound and it was Psycho. It might have been Rear Window as well. Yeah, I'm gonna look look that up. Uh, I got. You. I feel like I feel like it's yeah. I feel like it's not very many. Maybe maybe three. Uh, it was it was five. Rebecca, Lifeboat, Spellbound, oh. Rear Window, and Psycho. Lifeboat. I completely forgot about that one. Oh yeah, and Rebecca oh, makes sense. Yeah, Rebecca makes sense. Best Picture winner. Uh, so it's I five. Do, but he never I he do never have, won. He never won. He got an honorary award. But I do have to ask, just out of my from my own curiosity, what what is your beef with horse movies? I don't have a beef. <laughs> Feels like you have a beef. Well, I didn't like Sea Biscuit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I don't have like a beef with it. I just it, it's annoying when a movie gets stuck in my head that I don't want there. And National Velvet is one of those movies that. I guess I just got to see it. It's like that annoying song that gets stuck in your head and you're like, I don't know why it's there. I feel like National Velvet is there and I haven't even fucking seen it. <laughs> and, and and one day I'm going to watch it and I'm, it's going to be tainted because I'm going to be like, fuck this movie <laughs> before before I even started. So, uh, but I mean, Nash- it's got a lot of stuff here. National Velvet, it's up for directing and a bunch of other shit. So, um, you know, cinematography and acting stuff. So like, maybe I should check it out one day. Well, yeah, Hitchcock definitely got overlooked for most of his films, but it's a solid five that he was nominated for. Yeah, I think what I got hung up on was his, his he never got a win, like a directing win, and that's just fucking bonkers, right? So that's what I definitely got hung up on. He should have for Lifeboat. I mean, that entire film takes place in a fucking lifeboat. Like, there's nowhere else in that movie. He had to work with, you know, water. He had to work with a cramped, irritated cast. It's, like, that's an impressive bit of filmmaking. Like, that should have been his win. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Billy Wilder again, his to lose. And I thought he did wonders with the last weekend. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, this, this category, I'm always curious when a movie is up for best picture, but not up for best director. I've always thought that's interesting. So here's national velvet up for best director, best directing and the Southerner. But it's not, you know, Mildred Pierce is not here. You know, I, I just, I'm always curious about that. And of course, Anchors Away is not here. Thank God. I, I wonder if National Velvet and the Southerner would affect us more than maybe, uh, definitely Anchors Away, I would fucking hope. And I, want, I wonder how it stacks up against Mildred Pierce and The Lost Weekend. So do I. But I've also learned not to take Best Picture nominations, particularly all that seriously in this era as we learned with Dr. Doolittle, how, you know, bribes and blackmail factor into this shit very much back then. Well, that's, yeah. that's the only explanation for how Anchors Away can end up in there. So, I don't know. For me, it's just, it's more of a, it's less of a, you know, I shouldn't care as much. That's fair. For the worst movies, because I know they're only there because some asshole paid the right people. Didn't earn Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Which is which is again why it's a nice surprise to get Mildred Pearson Lost Weekend out of this episode. Yeah, exactly. But I am curious about the Southerner, especially. What is this? John Renoir. Uh, it's also got Zachary Scott, which is the guy who plays Monty in Mildred Pierce. Oh, okay. Hmm. Cotton Farm in Texas in the early forties. Oh boy. <laughs> um, I love Texan movies, so I'm in. 
Ah, this gives me a Shane vibe. I don't know. Yeah. You know, ever since we did Shane, I've heard other people talk about it and they're like, that movie kicks ass. And I'm like, did I miss something completely? Because I thought it was very average, you know? Yeah, you didn't miss anything. You're just listening to a lot of people brag about a movie other people told them was great. Probably, probably. I just, sometimes I feel like I, and you know, I love rewatching things just to give it another chance or to kind of just see. I like solidifying my, my feelings about something for sure. So it was nice to revisit Spellbound and the Bells of St. Mary's to be like, these are good. These are fine, but I don't love them. Um, I can't wait to revisit Mildred Pearson's and Lost Weekend one day. I can't wait to go back to those. Um, again, Mildred Pierce will be on our schedule at some point in the future. Don't know exactly when, but it will be revisited. That was a movie that clearly impacted both of us. And I would love to talk about it in depth. And, and I would love to get, give myself an excuse to go into Jerome Crawford's, you know, pretty, pretty wild catalog and wildlife. Yeah, absolutely. I saw Mommy Dearest is streaming on Hulu right now, and I'm very tempted to watch that just to see. Yeah. Like, you know, I've heard some some bad shit about that movie, but I've also heard Faye Dunaway kills it as yep. uh, Joan Crawford. So maybe I'll check that out. Yeah, th- that's th- there's there's Faye Dunaway, someone who we've both talked about uh, with high praise on this show before. I think you gave her the PSH when we did Chinatown. I did, yeah. Me- if I'm not mistaken, I, I went Jackie Jack and you went, you went with Faye. Uh, these days I would probably go with Mr. Houston as Noah Cross. Cause I'm just, that's just some of the craziest shit ever, but yeah, for another day, uh-huh. I, I, I do love that idea of someone like Faye, a queen of her era playing another, you know, queen of the queen of the screen of uh, an era before her. I've always, I've always been into that, you know, and we both probably should, should, should cross that one off the list. Yeah, I have it um, in our potentials list for Beyond the Bad because it, it is considered a like a dud. Yeah, which I'm I'm, I'm all for. You know, I'm all down to just kind of check out that 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 disaster. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it it opens like really weird floodgates of things in your mind, and you start getting on the internet, looking at different things, and reading stories about it. So it could be one of those kind of uh, gateway type movies where you, you just start reading about all kinds of nonsense, and I love those. Um, Man, this is fun. I love doing. I love. I love doing these showdowns, man. You just get get to kind of lay it out on the table and talk shit about, you know, a movie. Find movies that you really like and get to kind of, you know, look at a whole year, a whole ceremony. It's a lot of fun. Uh, let's see. On Wednesday, this is great. When I saw this on the schedule one day, I was kind of just like fucking around looking at our schedule. We. We all have access to it on our Google Docs. You know, me, Connor, uh, Caleb, Josh, Colton, Christian now. A bunch of us have access to the schedule, and I always am looking at it, trying to kind of just see what's going on. Uh, And and I saw episode 202 of Filmgasm on this Wednesday is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. (laughs) Fuck yeah, this is the kind of shit we should be doing. Yeah, I wanted to fully embrace the randomness of, you know, this giant ass list of genre films I've compiled called the Book of Filmgasm. So we're laying into that big time for the probably for the rest of the year and well into 2023, I would imagine. And it's going to be just random shit. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be, you know, could it be some French horror film? Could it be a classic? Could it be Rick Moranis shrinking his kids? I don't know. But this week it's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. 
Yeah, we're gonna find we're gonna find the fuck out. Yeah, it's crap. It's great, man. I I watched that movie so many times as a kid, so I'll definitely be listening. I'm excited for that. I'm also excited for the Beyond the Bad episode because this is a fascinating movie that I, I I've like never heard on a podcast before. Uh, Reefer Madness, episode 33 of Beyond the Bad. Fucking crazy. Yeah, we're tackling a propaganda movie by the government to try to trick people into thinking weed was gonna make you go insane and kill people. So. It's a short one. It's like an hour and eight minutes. And yeah. uh, it's available to stream everywhere because it's, you know, public domain. But it's one of the most ridiculous, insensitive, stupid movies of all time. And uh, we're excited to just lay into it. Yeah, it's 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 at this point, especially in this day and age, it's just comical. Just really, really funny. Uh, yeah, I honestly, if I were on that episode, it, it would go too long because I have so many, so many thoughts about it. And I've talked about it with so many of my friends. Um yeah, it's just yeah, it's just silly shit, silly Ronald Reagan era shit. Um, it's just fun to make fun of, you know. Uh, this, this was the '30s. No, yeah, but this is that's that's his bag. His bag was in the '80s to start the war on drugs, and yeah, I'm sure uh, in like in the '30s he was watching this like, you know what? That's a pretty good idea. I bet weed yeah. is bad for you there. <laughs> I'm gonna bring those commercials back. Yeah, where there's the big red X and the weed leaf in the middle. It's not cocaine or heroin. It's the weed. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I love it. Yeah. So the, yeah, this is like a piece of American history. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, and then next week on this show, we'll be tackling a movie. Neither, neither of us have ever seen from 1978. It's coming home with Jane Fonda, John Voight, Bruce Dern, you know, really cool cast. Uh, some, some big time wins at the 51st Academy Awards. So I'm super excited. I've always wanted to see this movie. This is kind of a, a different, different, different approach we're taking. It's a definitely a, a definitely a drama, you know, a very Oscar-y type movie. I like doing those every now and again, you know. Fucking sue me, you know. This is <laughs> this this part of the part of the reason I wanted to start this show was to have a lane to talk about movies like this that have great actors playing dramatic roles, uh, and I'm excited. Never seen it, so I can't wait. Yeah, it's been on my list for quite some time too. I've you know, it's John Voight's win, it's Jane Fonda's second win. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love me some Bruce Stern, you know, soldier's way saves the day. Love it. Yeah. So, which is great. Cause he's a soldier in the movie. Oh, fantastic. God. Fantastic. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah this is going to be a fun one. I've heard it's a, uh, it's a bit of a downer, quite a, quite a yeah. dramatic uh, heart, heart stringer, heart, heart puller. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Give me sad. <laughs> heart, heart puller. And it's Hal Ashby is the director of it. I've, I, I really like him. I've, I've gotten, I, I've, I've grown to really like him as a filmmaker. Uh, so yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited, man. The seventies are always a always an excuse for me to just watch some of my favorite shit, some stuff that's gonna become my favorite shit in the future, and that's kind of what I'm all about with doing this show is is just shedding light on that stuff. So, and Jane Fonda, you know me, man. I'm a big big fan, and I've yet to like pick a movie where she is a big big part of it on this show. It's time. It's finally time. You know, I, I can't wait to one day do Clue. One day I want to do On Golden Pond. One day I want to do The China Syndrome. But next week it's 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 coming home. A movie I haven't seen, so I'm 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 super excited. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, keep uh keep keep following us on these shows. You know, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, we're always cranking them out. We don't really ever take time off. Uh, we also have reviews up on uh, filmgasm.com if you want to check those out. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at filmgasm, and keep fucking watching movies.